When we talk about the social aspect of organized racism in this country, an important place to start for many is the Ku Klux Klan. It was once known as the Invisible Empire to indicate their mystical and vast territorial influence. The historic organization is the paradigm for white domestic racial terrorism. As the United States tried to reunite and stabilize the South after the Civil War and the end of slavery, the KKK created an ideology and an organizational foundation for contemporary methods of racial discrimination and violence. This is Dr. Catherine Bancole Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. Today's podcast episode is Hood Racism, the KKK Cipher. The KKK is 150 years old, yet this archaic organization has a clear and present contemporary expression. The KKK is more than a relic from the American racist past. It is also a code, a cipher, which stands for any kind of extreme white racial hate group, activity, or speech. If you want to describe the romance of racist hate in the United States, the letters KKK will suffice. Since 1865, the Klan has been a tenacious racist social movement. Several similar organizations have coexisted alongside of the KKK, and some of these groups were much larger. While each group had their differences, in addition to the Klan, there was the White Brotherhood, the White League, the Pale Faces, the Constitutional Union Guards, and the Knights of the White Camellia. Most likely, some of these groups did not even have formal names or a desire to affiliate with structured KKK bands called dens. Yet, like the KKK, these fraternities possessed a powerful belief in white social, political, and mythological dominance. There are conflicting stories of the origins of the KKK, and know now that this was intentional. The early Klan was made up of white male ex-Confederates of Scotch-Irish descent. They selected the Greek word for circle, kuklos, for its name, and added clan for alliteration. They insisted upon a secret oath and handshakes and passwords. They enforced strict organizational confidentiality and exploited the superstitions of people who were commonly afraid of spirits. Members at large were called ghouls who might at any moment conjure up specters of dead Confederate soldiers. The Civil War had ended, 
abolishing the enslavement of four and a half million African people. But these Klansmen still saw themselves as soldiers at war and thus not bound to the conventions of civil society. The traditional story of the Klan is that when ex-Confederate soldiers returned to the South from war, they came home to towns ravaged by battle and consumed by economic decay. Depressed and devoid of any worthwhile occupation, some of these white men gathered in Pulaski, Tennessee at a bar and proposed forming an alliance. They came up with the names of other like-minded men and created a rudimentary college fraternity-like structure with pistols, masks, robes, tall hats, signs and symbols, even disguises for their horses. They cultivated the aura that the Klan was on the verge of a great sacred mission. Two early chroniclers and supporters of the Klan proudly stated that it was, quote, one of the most perfectly organized orders that ever existed in the world, end quote. The early founders of the Klan used psychological manipulation, preserving an air of mystery, instilling fear, illusion, awe, and curiosity, and with their night rides, fomenting terror. They appreciated that their strange behavior, rituals, public silence, the flailing of skull and bones, the peculiar dress, all of this was meant to convey hidden power. They attempted to convince people that they could disarticulate their bones and their bodies. Ultimately, they used this inscrutable persona to commit acts of violence against free black people. Their violence against blacks during the reconstruction was so blatant and bloody that it could only be described as a reign of terror. Their brutality targeted black community leaders, enfranchisement activists, and Republican Party supporters. They threatened federal power because the states could not, and in some cases would not, protect the lives of black people. As a vigilante group, the Klan ignored the rule of law and trampled on the rights of the black freedmen and women. By 1869, after attempts to shutter the Klan through the state statutes and federally through Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, the Third Enforcement Act, the Klan continued to operate covertly. For example, they used coded messages printed in newspapers. Black and white enemies of the Klan, particularly Southern scalawags, Northern carpetbaggers, Republicans, and Freedmen's Bureau agents continued to be targeted for beatings, burnings, and executions. The Klan, like their brother organizations, saw itself as a military self-defense group, as regulators or vigilantes. They constructed a racist ideology based on their own perceptions of white purity 
and fears of black people. They believed that the white race was in imminent danger from emancipated African people. They imagined that their way of life, specifically white control over blacks, was directly threatened as free black people envisioned a world where they and their children would be full citizens, mainly through black male suffrage. Klan adherents felt that the Republican government had failed them. The ex-Confederates thought that they were under siege and neglected. According to conventional KKK narratives, the post-Civil War years were mired in social and political chaos, and the Klan crusade was established to create order. They were concerned about land distribution, and most importantly, they were worried about political, enfranchise, political disenfranchisement. They seized upon the vile myth of the black rapist. And in classic racist transference, they worried that black militias were training and arming themselves for war against white people. Klan racists also complained bitterly about black comportment that impudent blacks refused to behave by deferring to their sense of whiteness. Blacks were being insolent by speaking their thoughts, looking white people in the eye, and refusing to physically shrink in their presence. Above all, the Klan wanted whites to regain a sense of social and political domination over blacks, one that had existed before the Civil War. Ultimately, the KKK cipher is found in the enduring secrecy of the Klan and comparable organizations. They made it clear, quote, thou art not to utter what I am, it is our covenant, end quote. In regard to the social and political uses of KKK secrecy, we must remember a few key points that the Klan was founded on meticulous rituals and pledges of secrecy, and this organization was more than a fraternity fixated on mischief. A strict code of secrecy bound Klan members who would protect one another to the death in pursuit of their violent activities. The early Klan hid their faces, which often concealed the identity of prominent white community leaders, government officials, businessmen, and law enforcement officers. Yet, the Klan was duplicitous. They embraced both secrecy and transparency. Secrecy confirmed the group's mystery and shielded them from criticism and justice. Transparency offered the public a sense of white male bravado and the preservation of patriarchy. The secrecy of the Klan was meant to intentionally convey the message and mislead the public in terms of how they understood the presence of free black people as citizens, often casting them as threatening and insisting that blacks who did not preserve white supremacist rules were misbehaving and deserving of punishment. Klansmen understood the power of secrecy, 
because secrecy as an important component of organizational hidden agendas is a significant form of militaristic deception that can be used for a multitude of purposes. Remember the popular corporatist book, The 48 Laws of Power by Green and Elfers? The early Klan used most of these laws, especially law number three, which is conceal your intentions. You can explore the Klan in the apologist histories offered by Lester and Wilson in their Ku Klux Klan, Its Origin, Growth, and Disbandment, which was published in 1905, and William Richardson's Historic Pulaski, Birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan, which was published in 1913. The Klan ushered in the idea of white racist secrecy as a primary tool for operational survival. Now the KKK has had many resurrections. Today they are known by several names and no name. Their leaders have recreated themselves as educated, well-dressed prophets of white nationalist racist fire. They owe their existence to their early founders. Their forefathers constructed a self-serving victimization narrative and a racist ideology that faithfully demonized African-Americans, white Republicans, Jews, Catholics, and immigrants, all in order to justify rampant discrimination, brutality, and bloodshed. After Reconstruction, the Ku Klux Klan periodically reinvented itself for future generations. They did this by embracing a biased ratiographic history, appeals to racist dogma, and most certainly through coded language and secrecy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is so critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download, like, support us, and I also encourage you to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and to put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast series, then you know discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism. <laughs>